We have all experienced seeming coincidences in our life. Maybe we've run into an old friend uh, from home when we're on vacation or caught a lucky break when an exam we didn't study for was suddenly postponed. While most coincidences are pretty mundane, some are anything but. Recently, I read the remarkable story about a 1950 Baptist choir in a small Nebraska town named Beatrice. The 15-member choir met every Wednesday night at the church for practice at 7.20 p.m. Well, at 7.25 p.m. on Wednesday, March 1st, 1950, there was a gas leak and an explosion which demolished the church. The blast from this explosion forced a nearby radio station off the air and shattered windows in surrounding homes. Thanks be to God, however, every single one of the choir's 15 members escaped injury. How on earth did they survive an explosion, you might ask? Well, all 15 were late for practice that night. Car trouble delayed two women. Uh, A family of three that was in the choir were delayed because one of them needed something ironed. Another paused to complete homework. One needed to finish a letter. Uh, Another person was listening to her favorite radio show and wanted to hear the end of it. One took a very late nap and overslept. Some could think of no special reason. They were just late. And they lived because of it. Now, there are two ways of looking at an event like this. On the one hand, you could say it was simple luck. Random chance paying off. A happy coincidence. Or if we see it through the eyes of faith, we would say there are no coincidences that this was God's providence at work. Now, I would venture to say that our readings today teach us that there are no coincidences, and that God's providence governs all things, especially our first reading. So let's take a look at it. Uh, In the beginning of the first reading, we are introduced to uh, a woman known as the widow of Zarephath and her son. And they are suffering in the midst of a severe drought and famine, which has devastated the country so much so that they are on the verge of starvation. Now, the mother and son are, in fact, down to their last meal, which is what they tell the prophet Elijah when he asks for a little bit of food. However, Elijah has the audacity to tell her this. Do not be afraid. Go and do as you propose. But first, make me a little cake and bring it to me then you can prepare something for yourself and your son. For the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry until the day when the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And the widow trusts Elijah's word, and by extension she trusts in God. And as a result, the widow, her son, and Elijah live for a year off the meager amount of oil and flour. Now let's ask this question. Why did the widow trust Elijah and by extension trust God? Now the first thing to point out is that she is from Zarephath, a town near Sidon in Phoenicia, meaning she is a Gentile and in fact a pagan. And more than that, the Phoenicians were uh, enemies of Israel. 
So this makes her trust all the more remarkable. Now, I suppose somebody could make the argument, well, what did she have to lose? They only had food for one final meal. She might as well see if this prophet's words were true. But the problem with this argument is that God doesn't typically reward such calculating reasoning. You know, throughout sacred scripture, he rewards those who show faith, who put their confidence and trust in him. And I would venture to say that is why the widow of Zarephath and her son are blessed with this miracle. She heroically trusted in God and in his divine providence, and the Lord blessed her for this heroic trust. Even still, I could imagine a skeptic making a further objection and saying, look, why should I trust in God? Yes, God saved the widow of Zarephath and her son from famine, but how many widows and children perished in that famine and all the famines throughout history which God could have saved but didn't? Or let's return to the story about the Baptist choir in Nebraska saved from a gas leak explosion. Yes, God saved those 15 people, but how many heartbreaking tragedies are documented every day in the news which God could have prevented but didn't. Now, I think what the skeptic is getting at, ultimately, uh, even if he won't say it, is this idea that divine providence is merely an illusion, that there is no rhyme or reason behind the events of this world. It's just all one random coincidence after another. Divine providence is, a, is an illusion. In response, I would very strongly say that the real and true illusion is thinking that anything at all happens purely by random chance. Why do I say this? Because the witness of sacred scripture and sacred tradition is absolutely unanimous. The attentiveness of God's providence is concrete and immediate. God cares for all from the least things to the great events of the world and its history. After all, did not Christ tell us that God knows literally every hair that is on our head and every sparrow that falls from the sky? If that is true, then nothing, absolutely nothing, is determined by random chance. What we claim, what people claim as random chance or a fluke is nothing more than human ignorance. And here is what I mean by that. We don't know the reasons and causes and designs of things because we are not God. But God is God, and he does know the reasons, the causes, and design of all things. God knows from all eternity he saw what we are going through right now. He saw all that we have gone through in our life, and he sees all that we will go through for the remainder of our life. But more than just simply knowing what will happen, the astounding truth is that nothing escapes the will of God. Anything that comes to pass, God has foreseen it, yes, but he has also willed it, or in the case of evil, at the very least, permitted it. The question then is, why on earth would he permit evil? Why won't he rescue us from every tragedy like he did the widow of Zarephath and her son, or that church choir in 1950? Well, in heaven, we will find the answers to such particular questions. However, in general, we know that God wills nothing. He permits nothing unless he will bring some greater good from it in the end. 
What this means is that, like the widow of Zarephath, we do not need to be afraid. God is our Father. He is guiding all things for our greatest good. If only we will trust him and cooperate with him. We must, of course, do what is in our power. We must strive to do God's will, to follow his commandments, to uh, attend to the responsibilities and duties of our state and life. But then we must surrender the rest to God without anxiety or worry. And in our anxious world, that is easier said than done. However, we can take heart in this. To trust in God is not an emotion. It is an act of the will. Yes, we might feel anxious and worried. We might feel afraid. But we can still trust in God. We can still bend the knee and say, Jesus, I trust in you. Nothing escapes your will. I know that all things work for the good for those who love God. So let us know and believe in our hearts that we do not need to be afraid because God's providence governs all things because there are no coincidences. And let us daily bend the knee in trusting ourselves and our loved ones to our Heavenly Father, whose providence ensures that all things work for the good of those who love him.